It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, when the day began, they were about to experience their brightest dream. And in a matter of moments, it turned into the darkest nightmare. They were standing there where they could look beyond themselves and see the promised land. God had led them out of Egypt. He had given them victory, safety, security, fed them. He had done everything to bring them to this point, and there they were on the border of the promised land, prepared to enter into the inheritance that God had promised them. But when the spies returned from spying out the land, there was a loud rumble in the air. Not really, not really. When the spies returned from spying out the land, there were 12, remember, one representing each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob. Ten of them came back with a negative report. Two of them came back with a positive report. Now, can you name the two that came back with a positive report? Joshua and Caleb. Can anybody name one of the ten? kind of shows us where we fall when we don't trust God. We just fade into oblivion. So the report comes back that the land is, is very abundant and fruitful. Uh, the uh, fruit and vegetables are huge and desirable. It, it looks wonderful, however. They said, we are like grasshoppers in the eyes of the people that we saw there, and there is no way that we can overcome them. But Caleb and Joshua said, we can do it. God has promised it. Let's go into the land. But the negative spies prevailed, and tragedy began to unfold. It results in everyone 20 years of age and older is going to die wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. That, that simple walk into the promised land turns into the world's longest death march in history, 40 years in the wilderness. So let's say that Somebody was 19, just under that 20-year limit. Those who are going to be killed 20 and above, when they enter the promised land now, they're going to be 59 years old. Except for Joshua and Caleb and their families. God will spare them. And so they wander in the wilderness. That generation dies. And then they find themselves again after the death of Moses under the leadership of Joshua, standing again on the border of the promised land. So if we were watching this play out in a video, across the screen would come 40 years later, or maybe one generation later. All of that group is gone. And now they're about to enter what God has promised them. So in Joshua chapter 4, they are crossing or have crossed the Jordan River, a swelling river overflowing its banks, God has miraculously guided them through that. The priests and the leaders of the people have led the way, but when the priests' feet hit the water as they carry the Ark of the Covenant, the water stands up in a heap, just like the Red Sea, and the water flows, and the ground is dry, and they cross over these hundreds of thousands of people. And when they get to the other side... 
They're giving some instructions that I think would be very helpful for us to consider. In their day, it was a matter of stacking stones and remembering what God had done. Not just that day and not just in their lifetime, but all the way back to the deliverance from Egypt, they needed to remember. But it had to do with stacking 12 stones representing those 12 tribes. For us, I want us to think about connecting the dots. When things occur in our lives, when we're praying for others, sometimes connecting the dots on how we got where we are, what God has done in the past, what he longs to do in the present and the future is very helpful. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to think about them stacking stones and us connecting dots to become more focused in our obedience to the Lord. So let's look together at Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And let's stand in honor of God's word, please. When it says the children of Israel, it simply means the descendants of Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. So it wasn't young people. It was all of the descendants, just to clarify that. Verse 21 of Joshua 4, Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the great extent to which you moved history. Through the Exodus is a beautiful picture of our deliverance in Christ. Father, I too thank you for the challenges and some of the failures that we find in Scripture that encourage us towards your grace and your mercy in times of failure. So Father, today as we contemplate being faithful to you, following Christ, being obedient and passing that on into other people's lives. I do pray that you would use this scene from Scripture to inspire us and encourage us in that direction. And so, Father, would you please speak to us from your word? Because unless... You speak. I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as believers, if you put your faith and trust in Christ and you've committed your life to follow him and to become like him, your, world, your life is on display for the world in which you live. There, there's no way around that. People are viewing your life, sometimes critically and sometimes hungrily, looking for answers and meaning and purpose. But our lives are on display. And sometimes we make the false assumption that, that they can connect the dots, that they'll see my life, uh, they'll, they'll understand that I have a commitment to Christ, they'll understand that the scripture is undergirding all of my decisions, attitudes, etc., and that they can 
somehow connect those dots and understand the gospel. But the reality is they can't connect the dots. Their eyes are blinded, the Scripture says, if they don't know Christ. And so it's our job to help them connect the dots. There is a sense in which they glorify God in heaven when they see our good works, as Jesus said, but for them to fully understand the good news of Christ, that they can, too, be forgiven of their sin debt, live out from under the guilt and the shame of their past, all of those things that that we are blessed with because of the glorious blessing of Christ in our lives. For them to understand that, we have to help them connect the dots. And also in a parenting relationship with our children, we, we can't assume that they're connecting the dots either, can we? I've um, dealt with parents throughout my ministry who one day woke up and realized my children don't see things like like I do spiritually. They don't see the importance of Christ. They don't see the importance of following him. And, and somehow the, the dots didn't get connected. So although we're beginning family Bible camp tonight, this does deal with, with parenting uh, initially. It, it has to do with every relationship in our lives. Because in 1 Peter, we're all commanded to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. We are to be always ready and able to tell people why we have the hope that we have in Christ. So I think when we look at the instructions that were given here in Joshua chapter 4, there are some principles here that we can apply in our lives. First of all, to connect the dots and help others do the same, we need to recognize and relate the activity of God in our life. We need to recognize and relate the activity of God in our life. Look back at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 4 of Joshua. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man for every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So initially the command was given to the leaders of the tribes, but they were somehow to recognize the activity of God, relate it, to their lives, and be prepared from that standpoint to pass it to others. Something that's been astounding and at times overwhelming to me is that in the life of churches that I've pastored, this one included, we have seen a powerful move of God in people's lives. It might have been in the context of a solemn assembly where we spent two hours confessing corporate sin to the Lord and coming clean and getting right with Him, and there was brokenness and repentance, and, and God manifested Himself in some very powerful and personal ways in our lives. But it's always been astounding and overwhelming to see people walk away from that as if it was just another event they attended. 
to, to walk out with no recollection. When it would later be referred to, they would say, well, that was just a long service. And those of us who were moved and gripped by the power and the presence of God would, would think in our hearts and minds, no, it, it wasn't just another service. It was a, a, a life-changing, a world-shaking moment for us that altered everything in our lives. And so we can't take it for granted even that we are recognizing what God is doing in us, through us, or around us. Uh, we have to recognize the activity of God. And so when they were crossing over the Jordan, this was not just a, a natural coincidence that happened. It, it wasn't that the waters somehow just got stuck there and stood up. It was God moved to get them across that Jordan River, not just for that day, but for their existence. It, he, he had a purpose beyond the miracle. Some might recognize the miracle, but forget the purpose behind the miracle. Have you ever seen that happen in people's lives? So God had made some promises. He had promised to take them into this land of, of promise. And so throughout Scripture, you find promises. Some of them were specifically to people in the Bible that belonged specifically and ultimately and only to them. And so here was one of those occasions. We, we have to look at other things to apply it to our lives because this was not a promise to us. I, I can't travel overseas and say, hey, that, that land is mine because I read it in the Bible. That, that was promised to a specific people. There are other times promises were made to individuals, but instead of claiming those promises, some things that we can do is we can learn the precepts behind the promises. What is that promise pointing to? Is that promise based on obedience? And is, is there a blessing that accompanies just the simple obedience to that statement that's made? That, that can be very promising in our lives, although it's not a specific promise to us. Or there are principles that we can apply from those promises We'll talk about that in more detail, but one thing we need to know is here God had provided what he promised. That's the heart of the story. God provided what he promised. And that same God will provide in your life and my life what he has promised to us generally as believers. That's good news. But his promises are always toward his purposes. One promise that gets pulled out of context is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's quoted and prayed over sporting events by, by both teams wanting to win that event. And I don't see God flipping a coin to see which prayer he's going to answer. I, I just don't see that. What Paul was saying, he, he was in prison. Remember when he, when he penned that? He, he had chains. He was talking about the struggles in his life. He, he was talking later about learning to be content in whatever situation he found himself, but, but he knew as he pursued the purposes of God, he could count on the promise of God that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him in the context of his purposes. And so if, if you're outside of God's will and, and you're, you're thinking God's going to strengthen you to disobey him, that's spiritual insanity, isn't it? Because his promises always point toward his purpose and, and his purpose is enveloped in that promise and when i move toward that purpose the the promise comes about but there are principles that can be gleaned from that and one of the principles here is simply that that god provides what he promises 
when he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He, he's making a promise that when you come and you genuinely turn to Christ and you call upon his name in repentance and faith, you shall be saved. It's a wonderful picture here of how God provides for us, but we've got to recognize and relate that in our own lives because we've got to connect the dots before anybody else will. So secondly, record and remember the activity of God in your life. It's one thing to recognize and relate that to your life, but, but record and remember the activity of God in your life. You know how we got the Bible? God inspired this living word in the lives of people who were remembering and recording what God did in their lives and in the lives of the people of God. When we read a psalm on Sunday mornings, that, that is an experience of, of reading something that was penned out of the experience of God inspiring them to pen that from how he was working in their lives. And so if we want to have anything to, to pass down to others, we have to, to record and remember what God has done in our lives. And that's what he's pointing to here in our text for today. In verses 19 through 21, here's the context of the passage. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask you, as their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then he goes on to, to explain that. The picture here, they got to record this. Okay, there's 12 stones here. 12 stones represent the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes are the descendants of Jacob. Jacob was the descendant of Isaac, and Isaac was the descendant of Abraham, the father of faith, God made him a promise. The people ended up in Egypt, but God sent Moses to deliver them from Egypt, and the story goes on. They had to somehow record and remember that in their lives so that they could pass it on to somebody else because most of what we find in, in their lives was not them holding a Bible like we hold. It was Verbal testimony that was passed down. They didn't have access. All of them didn't have access like we do. They couldn't swear on a stack of Bibles because they didn't have a stack of Bibles like we do. So we need to record and remember the activity of God in our lives. Just think about those special letters you've received or the special emails you put a, you, you star them or you save them or you print out some text or whatever. Just, you don't want to lose that because it came from someone special. Uh, they said something special or they, they were doing something special in the context of that they were communicating with you. You, you want to hang on to that, don't you? Well, when, when God works in our lives, we should record that in our minds and remember it. That's why God taught them throughout the Old Testament to have memorials. They would set up monuments. They would set up places. They would name places, certain names, as a memorial. All a memorial is is a visible reminder of the invisible hand of God in your life. A visible reminder of the invisible hand of God in your life. On my shelf in my office, I have a, a little rock it's not polished. It's not even something you would even notice. If you've been in my office, you probably haven't even noticed this rock sitting on my shelf in there. 
But that rock came from the prayer garden in Glorieta, New Mexico. That became a very special place where I spent time with the Lord. Our church in New Mexico had a cabin there. We would go there every spring break as a family. Uh, we would just spend the week together. No phones, no TV, no technology. It's, it's not sounding so heavenly to some of us right now, but it was heavenly to me. And in the mornings, I would get up and I would go down to this prayer garden with my Bible a notebook and a pen. And I would just spend a few hours with the Lord there in the prayer garden in silence, worshiping Him, communing with Him, recording things that I was receiving from the Scripture. I remember one occasion I... I was really struggling, and I, I just said, Father, why am I still where I am? Why am I pastoring the church that I'm pastoring? Why am I still there? And, and I just got quiet before the Lord, and my mind began to be filled with thoughts. I filled up page after page of reasons why God might be keeping me there. Things that he was doing in my heart, my life. And, and I would come back to the cabin, and from the prayer garden, we'd spend the day together. The next day, I would, I would go back. It became precious to me. And I, you know, I thought, you know, I need something to, to help me record this, remember it. And so I, I hope this isn't like a, an offense to the law in New Mexico, but I took a rock out of the prayer garden. And when I look at it, I, I, I look at it as my Ebenezer because it was there that God was my helper. And it was like, in a year, like a yearly appointment that I maintained with the Lord, and it became a, a visible reminder of the invisible hand of God in my life. That's all these stones were. It was to be a visible reminder and a conversation piece for the home and for relationships when they would see the stones and say, what are these stones here for? Oh, let me tell you about the stones, which it's really not about the stones. It's about what God did and what they represent. It's all about God's faithfulness to his word and to his promise. It's all about him turning defeats into victories. It's all about him taking the failures of the fathers and bringing victory to the children. It, it was the breaking of a cycle of doubt in the lives of the people of God. It was all of that about those, those stones. We, we need those reminders. We need those recollections of that, and we, we need those conversation starters so that people will ask us about that, and we can tell them what God legitimately did in our lives in keeping with his word. And aren't you glad that God has redeemed some of our past failures and made victories in our lives? So we need to re recognize and relate God's activity in our life. We need to record and remember the activity of God in our life. And we need to review and relay the activity of God in our life to others. When the children ask you, and believe me, they're going to ask. Now, some of you in the room may say, well, well, I'm not even married yet. Why would I be thinking about kids? Well, this might be a great time to be thinking about that. Let me just put some thought in your mind here. The person you marry is going to be the parent of your kids. If they're not somebody you want babysitting your kids, you probably don't want to marry them. Right? Sometimes people don't think that far. They're, they're short-sighted. Uh, you know, I think he or she's cute. Well, good. They probably won't stay cute for all of their lives. Look deeper than that. Okay. Just some good advice. Let me think what I was saying that for. Oh, so you, you need to think, okay, what, what am I doing now that's going to position me for God's blessing in the future? 
Am I going to put my life so far out of his blessing that, that I'm going to hinder everybody that comes into my life and everybody that my life touches? I, I'm going to be a warning sign and not a pathway to the gospel? Am I going to live my life that way, or am I going to be able to answer the questions that are posed to me, not just from my head, but from my heart and from my life? That was the challenge here to the, the fathers who would have to answer the questions of their children. Questions like, Dad, who made God? That's a pretty serious question to try to answer. One, he, he, he wasn't created. But the questions will be asked, what, what do these stones mean? There were other occasions when they were given that command. One of them was around the Passover. They were to do the meal as recorded in Exodus 12 in a very precise manner. There was symbolism in that meal that God had placed there. It would help them to look back at the past and know what God did on that night of the Passover and their deliverance from Egypt, but it would also contain pictures placed there by the hand of God for the future and understanding better what Jesus was going to provide for us on the cross and delivering us from sin, death, and hell. And so in that, same con- in that context, that same statement is made when your children ask, What does this meal mean? You shall tell them. We were in bondage in Egypt, and God came to deliver us. He brought plagues upon the people of Egypt, and one of those plagues, the final one, was the killing of the firstborn. We had to spread blood over the doorpost, and if we had the blood, then the death angel passed over our homes, and the firstborn did not die. And on they would go about the deliverance from Egypt. It was a conversation starter, a memorial meal. Kind of like the Lord's Supper. When children might say, that's not a supper. That's a little chiclet-sized cracker. Do you young people even know what a chiclet is? It's not just a small chick. Okay, okay, good. I just thought I'd ask. It, it's just a little cracker and barely enough juice to taste. What, what, what's that for? Oh, you see, Jesus sat at a table with his disciples. One of them was about to betray him. One was about to deny him. All of them were about to desert him. And as he served them the meal, he, he took those symbols of bread and the cup and he, he poured meaning into them because that would symbolize his broken body and his shed blood. Do you see the, the teaching power and just talking about a memorial meal? So in Exodus 12, it was that, but now... We've been given that. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in the context where the parents were told to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they were to teach their children the things that they had been taught, and they were to pass that into their lives when they're walking, when they're sitting, when they're traveling, when they're doing nothing, and they are to pour that into their lives, well, Later on in that same chapter, listen to what it says. Verses 20 to 24. When your son asks you in times come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments with the, which the Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Do you hear that phrase? He brought us out to bring us in. Isn't that a great picture? 
So we talk about what God did in the Old Testament. And then just think about, he, he brought us out of sin and death to bring us into life and peace eternally. God never just brings you out to bring you out. He brings you out to bring you into something else better. Just like we sang, a new and better way. So don't let that intimidate you that you're going to have to answer questions. You're going to be interrogated by a, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old because they, they will interrogate you as a parent. Don't let it intimidate you. Let it motivate you to grow in your faith and to be prepared. Then finally, we need to revere God and release all the glory to him alone. It says in our text, verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth shall know the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was a symbol of God's blessing and his power. Those memorial stones were there to say the very hand of God, not that he has a physical hand, pushed the waters back and held them so others could cross. None of us can do that. Only God. They will know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see, either God's hand will be upon you for blessing or it will be against you in discipline or judgment. You want his hand upon you in blessing, don't you? His hand should cause us to fear him. He is, he is more powerful than we can imagine, more perfect than we can envision. He is beyond us. We are accountable to him. God moves in our lives to magnify our neediness and his greatness the purpose is to magnify God and for others to fear and worship him with us I would love to hear one of those people that walked on that dry ground tell the story wouldn't you I, I mean can't you can't, can't you just tell tell I mean, just imagine, man, the bottom of my sandal didn't even get wet. My foot never sunk in. It, it was dry ground, and that water had been flowing there forever. And, and we just walked across, and as we walked across, we looked at the Ark of the Covenant. We had to stay a certain distance away, or he would have struck us dead right there. It wouldn't have been the water that got us. It would have been God that got us. But we, we kept the distance, and we walked across. And when we got onto the other side, and, and they brought the ark out, and it was completed. The water started flowing again. It was amazing. Don't you love to hear people tell about when they met Jesus? Oh, it was amazing. I walked in the room under the load of guilt, shame, and despair. I was overwhelmed with my unworthiness, but God, he, he accepted me, and he forgave me he cleansed me and I became a new creation in Christ Jesus there's power in the telling of the story and the purpose is always to magnify God and for others to fear and worship him but some people read the Bible and they wonder well what kind of rocks were those that they would stack on each other who cares what kind of rock it was who cares how they were ordered in the stack? Can't you see people trying to figure out, okay, who put their rock there first? Who put their snack? Who got to crown the stack? Who cares? It wasn't about the rocks. It was about God and his greatness and what he did. It had nothing to do with how the rocks were placed there. It was why they were placed there. So how do you apply a message like this? I know every week we come to a so what moment. It's like, okay, so what? Well, we need to love the word of God. Because we need to have something to, to give when others ask us those questions. We, we need to love the word of God. We need to learn the ways of God. How does God work 
That's what they did. They, they loved the Word of God. They were learning the ways of God. They, at that moment, living in the will of God, we need to live there. We need to lead in the worship of God. When God provides, when God is active in our lives. We need to tell the story, not to magnify us, because the only thing that brings us into the story is our need and our neediness. It's his greatness that matters. And if God really did something in our life, we should never boast in anything but him. I was 18 years old and in South Korea. This was pre-cell phone, FaceTime, Skype, anything like that. It was plugged-in phones on the wall, long-distance supercharges, if you called from South Korea. Um, I was basically told, don't call unless you just have to. God had provided for me to go. I went with an elderly couple come home from college my freshman year at the end of that pleading with God to help me be a person who led people to Christ and went home that very day and my dad said hey we need to go get your passport picture made I thought what I do that you're shipping me off I've never been out of the nation and he said we your mother and I believe that God wants you to go to South Korea on a mission trip, he said, on the way to get the picture made. Uh, but I need you to make me a promise. I said, okay. He said, we, we really are convicted that we don't need to tell anybody about how much the trip's going to cost or anything. We're not going to ask anybody for any money. But your mother and I can't afford to send you, but we believe God's going to provide, and we don't want anybody to get the credit but him. And he said, so we're just going to trust God to provide. And he said, there's one person in the church I want you to stay away from until you get back from the trip because I know she'll want to pay for the trip. So avoid this lady. And so I said, okay, I'll avoid this lady. So God provided. So I'm in South Korea. The lady, the elderly lady I was with gets... Um, can't think what it was now so her husband and she are there in their room quarantining we didn't call it that then but quarantining I'm kind of on my own at 18 in South Korea like on the 23rd or 24th floor of this hotel that goes even farther than that in the city of Seoul the day before something a few days before, something had bit my thumb while we were out in these homes. And it was really swelling. My thumb always bothers me while I'm telling this story. So, so it's, it, it had pus and it swole where you couldn't even see my thumbnail. And I was 18. So the missionary didn't know what to tell me. The people that were there with me couldn't help me. Everybody's concerned, but nobody knows what to do. They don't want me to call my parents and alarm them. And so I, I am the alarmed one. There were doctors on the trip, but they were in Pusan. And so the missionary was telling me, that was leading the thing, he said, hey, if you can hang on till, I think it was Thursday, they're going to be flying in, and the doctors will get them to look at it. I mean, this was like my first time to ever be in a situation like this. And all I could think about was my thumb. Well, Thursday came, and there was this downpour of rain. It rained and rained and rained. I go down to see the missionary that night because my roommate has rained out where he went to preach that day. I'm rained in, and so I'm completely by myself this night. 
I go down to see the missionary, and he said the medical team didn't fly in because of the rain. They're going to be here tomorrow, and I was thinking I won't have a thumb tomorrow because it was, it was just throbbing and hurting, and my elbow was starting to hurt, my whole arm. You know, you imagine what I was thinking. So I go back to that hotel room where it, it warns you not to take pictures out that window due to North Korea, et cetera, and so you're, you're like feeling like there's guns aimed at the window anyway, but you're looking out at the rain, and so I just started kind of hitting the wall with my good hand to make it hurt, so I stopped thinking about this hand. I was just kind of, I was 18, I, you know, okay, so. Finally, I think, I got to do something. I can't sleep. Nobody's here. I can't talk to anybody. Everybody else is asleep. I'm not. I'll go ride the elevator. So I go ride the elevator. It was kind of a rush. You know, when you grew up in New Mexico, eastern New Mexico, it's flat. You have to take Dramamine when you go over a speed bump. For altitude sickness, you got to do something for fun. So, so I'd go get on the elevator, and I would go all the way to the top floor and then push the bottom floor and go all the way down and then hit the top floor and go all the way up. I was just, middle of the night, I'm riding the elevator. Well, it finally stopped on the bottom floor one time, and this, this woman got on the elevator. She was probably about my age, and she had her mother with her, who was much older probably in her 80s. And I said, what floor are you going to? They told me, so I hit the button. I was acting like I was the guy driving the thing because I'd been driving it for quite a while. And so we started up to their floor, and, and I looked, and they had a World Evangelism Foundation tag on, and I said, are, I haven't seen you at the meals or anything this week. And she said, oh, we've, we've been in Pusan. This is like 2 in the morning. I said, You've been in Pusan? And she said, yes. I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I said, well, I didn't think you guys could fly in. And she said, well, they couldn't, but my mother wanted to see the scenery, and I wanted her to, so we rode the train here from Seoul this morning and had just been out seeing the sights and just now got back to the hotel. And I said, well, since you're a nurse, could I ask you a question? I didn't even have to ask the question. I stuck my thumb out, and she said, oh, my. Come to my room with me. So I go to her and her mother's room. We go in there. She, she gives me some of her mother's arthritis medicine for the pain, which was kind of funny, and um, says, I'm going to have to lance that. So she takes me in the bathtub, and she says, this is going to hurt. I said, I don't think it can, my... My whole arm is numb. I can't feel a thing. I couldn't. She lanced it, drained it forever. She said, I don't know what it is, but that should take care of it. She put some kind of ointment on it and said, I think it'll be okay. You should have feeling in your arm tomorrow. So I said, okay, well, good. I think I'll be able to sleep now. And she said, well, here, I put a Band-Aid on it, but you take this little box of Band-Aids. If you need some more, I picked them up today. So... Um, that was my first time to really experience God intervening in my life. Out there all by myself. All by my lonesome. God did that. And you know what I have? I have that little box of Band-Aids. You know what's really cool about those Band-Aids? It's all in Korean. But there's a picture of a little boy with a big hand. He's holding his thumb up with a Band-Aid on it. Isn't that great? There have been times I've gone through so much worse than that. Times that were just, felt like it was just going to uproot everything about me. And in the midst of that, my eyes caught that little Band-Aid box. And I thought, oh yeah, you can do this, God. You can do this. You've got to be careful. Don't worship the Band-Aid box. Worship the God who provided. But fill your life with memorials that are visible reminders of the invisible hand of God 
and let it be a conversation piece that takes you into a spiritual conversation with the potential of changing another person's life, not because of your story, but by the power of God working through what he did in your life in that person's life. And so now we come to the memorial. What do these things mean? They mean a lot to those of us who have believed. They're just symbols, just images, and they're tangible things that we can see, but it reminds us of the the tangible scene of Jesus on the cross, but the invisible reality behind that, the, the hand of God at work there because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a beautiful picture this paints for us. And so today when we come to the table, remember we come in honor of our living Lord, our faithful God, who is a promise-keeping God in every way we can imagine. And so, Father, as we join together to observe and to partake of these elements, I pray just the thought of your hand at work through the death of your Son and the raising of him from the dead would bring about a fresh reverential awe and fear of who you are. And that it would change the way in which we look at life and the way at which we look at relationships. And may we be faithful to tell others the story. So, Father, now as we gather here to partake and to pray with one another, would you bless it in a very personal and powerful way? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.